The following message is brought to you by New Song Church and Pastor Joshua Blunt in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information on New Song, visit us online at newsongpeople.com. Matthew 14. Let's look at verse 22. Uh, and I'm, I'm going to read a, a, a few scriptures here, so stay with me just so we can get a, uh, an understanding of where we're going with this. Now, let me give you some backstory. Right before what we're about to read, uh, uh, what happened before was Jesus has just fed 5,000, it says men in the scripture. I don't know why they did this in the Bible, but they only counted the men. But you know where there's men, there's going to be women, right? And where there's men and women, there's going to be kids, so there could have been 20, 25,000 people there. And Jesus fed them all with uh, like a Long John Silver Happy Meal thing. I mean, there's two uh, pieces of fish, five loaves, and everybody got fed, and they had 12 baskets left over. So they've just experienced a great miracle. You know, there's rejoicing. There's people are full, and they're happy. They've heard the word. But then we get to this part of the story. So let's begin reading in verse 22. Immediately after this, the miracle, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake. Now, this is the Sea of Galilee we're talking about. And uh, in Israel, the Sea of Galilee is a huge body of water. Israel's this little bitty country about the size of New Jersey. But the Sea of Galilee is 64 uh, square miles in diameter. It's about the size of Washington, D.C. That's why they called it a sea. It looked like an ocean. Trudy and I have been there. It's a big, big lake, right? So let me continue. While he sent the people home. So the disciples are going across this long journey across the sea. After sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble, far away from the land. They're in the middle of the lake. For a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting heavy waves. Think Oklahoma in May. Big storm, okay? About 3 o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. Jesus was walking on the water, okay? Jesus can walk on water. It's pretty cool. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage, I am here. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat. You could say Peter stepped out to step up. Everybody say step up. Step up. All right, let's keep reading. And walked on the water toward Jesus. Peter was walking on water. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink as if you can walk on water if it's calm. You can't walk on water, right? But he, he was doing it. But he began to look at the circumstances. Keep that in mind. He began to sing. And he said, save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Then the disciples worshiped him. You really are the son of God, they exclaimed. So we're going to look at some of the red letters from this story, some of the things that Jesus wants us to see today. And we're calling this Step Up. Step Up. Everybody say, everybody say step, up. step Up. 
Step up. I got three points for you. I got 10 words that Jesus said we're gonna break down. You ready? Here we go. Number one, Jesus said, I am here. In the middle of the storm, the disciples failed to recognize Jesus was with them. Let me read again. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried, it's a ghost. Jesus spoke to them at once, don't be afraid. He said, take courage, I am here. How many are glad Jesus is here? Jesus is in the middle of whatever storm you're in right now. And storms come to all of us. Storms are a part of life. We are in storms. We have been in six months of severe, different kinds of storms. Who saw this stuff coming, right? And then we have personal storms that we deal with. And storms just come. You know, I would love it if when we got saved, you know, we get saved, we receive Christ, we are born again, and now our destiny's heaven, right? And so really, we're like a, in fact, the scripture says this, we're like a pilgrim on the earth. We really don't belong here. And wouldn't it be cool when you get saved that you never had any bad stuff happen? But that doesn't happen, right? Why? Because we're still on the earth. There is a curse operating on the earth, and these things will come. They will come against you, and they will, they will try to take the word of God down in your life. So storms will come. Forrest Gump said life is like a box of chocolates, right? I got a different saying. Life is like a box of blueberries. Let me explain myself. I went to the store last week and I bought some blueberries. Blueberries are pretty good this time of the year. So, and I like blueberries. So I get home and these are good blueberries, but some of them weren't so good. So I, there were some rotten ones in there. But then I would eat a good one and it was so good and tasty and sweet. So I thought, well, I'm not gonna throw these blueberries away. Probably like one in 10 were rotten. So I dumped them out on the counter and I began to separate them and I began to pick out the rotten ones because there's rotten blueberries that they'll try to get in your blueberries. And you gotta separate them. That's called your faith. You have to act. See, Jesus came to give, give us the victory, but it's not determined by what he did. What he did was complete. Jesus defeated the enemy at the cross. He gave that to you, but now you have to believe it and walk it out. Everybody say, walk it out. See, life is like a box of blueberries, and you got to get rid of the rotten ones. And the question is not, can you live storm-free? The question is, are you seeing Jesus in your storm? Maybe you got a storm like, maybe you lost your job during COVID, and you're looking for a job, and I mean, it's gone, and a lot of people are like that, right? That's tough. That's sad. And maybe you, you keep hitting your head up against the ceiling, and you can't find any work. You're in a storm, right? Maybe you uh, prayed for healing. And you believe God, and you got scriptures you're standing on, and you know it's a fact, but it's not working. And you've been standing for six months for something, but still it doesn't seem to be manifesting. You, you're dealing with the storm. Maybe you, you're married, and you're having trouble in your marriage. Maybe you've read 18 books on marriage. Maybe you've been to a counselor, and still you're having trouble. You know, marriage is just a challenge. Has anybody noticed that? I mean, don't look at me so religiously. You know, I've been married nearly 50 years. In August 28th, I will be married 50 years. Can you believe that? Well, thank you. Uh, as young as I look, it's true. I can't believe it. And uh, can I be honest with you? Trudy and I travel. We go around the country. We have a ministry based on 
teaching uh, people how to be married, uh, teaching them how to raise their kids. We are champions for that. That's our message. And yet, as much as we've taught on this, in fact, I'll tell you this, we've been driving to a church to teach on marriage and had a fuss about how we're going to do it in the car as we drove over there. (laughs) And pretty much every day of our married life, we disagree about something. And you'd think we'd have it down by now, right? No, here's the deal. You're both different. And you got to learn to bond with each other. You got to learn to blend. You got to learn how to respect each other and walk this thing out. And it won't be perfect, but you got to learn. There's going to be storms that come against your marriage, but it's worth it to fight, right? See, the question is not can you get rid of the storms, but what are you going to do in the middle of the storm? Trudy and I got married. I was 19 years old. 19. It's 50 years ago. She was 17. And we loved each other. I mean, she's the prettiest thing I'd ever seen in my life. And I, I married her, and then we're married, but we're just we're fussing all the time. We don't know how to get along. The major thing is we didn't know Jesus, right? And so one night in desperation after a big fight, she went to another part of our little apartment, which wasn't very far away from me because it's small. <laughs> uh, but she cried out to God. And, and my wife, i tell you what God wants. He wants people to be honest with him. And she just got honest with God. And she had been raised in a church, and she just told God this. And this is my wife. She'll do this. She said, God, I've gone to church and tried to serve you the best I knew how all my life. And as far as I can tell, you've never done anything to help me. She just told God that. I don't know if I'd do that. And then she said this, and I'll tell you what, if you don't show me you're real and you can help me with this, I'm never going to serve you the rest of my life. I'm done. That's it. And she just pointed her finger and told God that, right? The next day, everybody say the next day. In the middle of that storm, God sent some people to our door and they had beautiful feet and they brought Trudy the gospel and then she prayed me into the kingdom and our destiny was changed in the middle of a storm. She cried out and was willing to say, Jesus, are you in this storm? And when she did and believed it, he showed up. See, Jesus wants to show up in the middle of the storm, but you got to call out to him and you got to, here's, Here's the thing the disciples did. They saw him as a ghost, right? It's like a ghost is like an image. But I think some people, here's how I'm going to relate that. I think some people are kind of religious when it comes to Jesus. And it's like it's, yeah, I go to church. And, but when it comes to really serving him, making him Lord, focusing on him, focusing on what he said, doing what he's telling you to do, they kind of, they hold back and he's like a ghost, Listen, Jesus wants to be real in your life. I don't know where you are today, but he wants to be real in your life and live with you. And he's saying, I am here. And understand this, Jesus does some of his greatest and best work in the middle of a storm. So he's saying, I am here. Point number two, Jesus said two words to Peter. Yes, come. Everybody say, yes, come. Say it. Let's read it, verse 28. Then Peter called to him. The disciples saw him as a ghost, but Peter called. Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. Now, one translation says when uh, Peter said that Jesus, it said, uh, uh, Jesus said, command, no, Peter said this, command me to come. Or bid me to come. Now, why would he say that? I want to give you a little Jewish teaching here, okay? 
understand this. Peter is a, a disciple and Jesus is a rabbi. And you got to understand how this works. Because to a Jew that practices Judaism, the highest aspiration you can have in life is to become a disciple of a rabbi. Now, Jesus is a rabbi, right? Did you know that? He had been trained to be a rabbi. A lot of people, I think, think Jesus just came to the earth and he's like God walking around all the time since he was a baby. Uh, I heard a preacher say one time that they just could see Jesus, you know, walking around and healing birds that had a wing broken and just like this celestial Jesus. And I want you to know, Jesus became a real person. He became a man. He was born a baby. He went through things. Jesus didn't come. I don't think he knew everything he was, he was going to do when he was a child because the scripture says he grew in wisdom and stature. He grew up physically and he grew up in his understanding. Can you imagine the day that Jesus got a revelation? I believe this happened. I don't know how it happened. We can't find it, but he got a revelation that this Messiah that I read about, that I'm being trained about, that's me. I'm the one. See, Jesus was a trained rabbi. By the time he was 12, we know he was trained because he was able to go to the temple and stand toe-to-toe with all the the great scholars and those uh, lawyers that knew the word of God, and Jesus knew it so well. Now, let me talk to you about Jewish training for just a minute. Uh, their, Their training was very intense as far as putting the word of God in children. It began when they were little babies, and they would give the little babies that, you know, they're just babies like in our nursery, they would give them a Hebrew letter of the Hebrew letters that made up the Hebrew alphabet or alphabet, we call it in Greek. And they would take these letters and pour honey on them and have the babies lick them off because they were telling them that the learning about God, learning his word is the sweetest thing that can happen in your life. You know, with our babies in the nursery, I don't know if you know this, but we pass out Bibles. These little babies, we give them the Bible, and the teacher will hug the Bible and say, oh, we love God's Word. And these little babies are in there hugging the Bible. And that's not real deep teaching, is it? But we're teaching them that the Word of God, is this is God's Word. This is powerful. We need, we love this book, right? So then they began their first level of training. It was called Bet Safar, and it means this, the house of the book. And this began when they were about six years old to the age of 10. And their goal was to teach these students so well that they had memorized the Torah or the first five books of the Old Testament. Not learn it, memorize it. Memorize, know it, every word, word by word. First level. Second level is called Bet Talmud. That means house of study. And this time, this is from age 11 to 13. And their, and their goal was for these students to memorize from Joshua to Malachi, or the rest of the Bible, the rest of the Old Testament. Memorize it. And uh, they did this. The rabbis that did this were, uh, were all exciting. They did object lessons, much like we do back in kids' church, in our classrooms. They made it fun because our goal in New Song Kids and in Boomtown is kids, are if they're, if they're having fun, they're going to know God. That's our goal. Have fun, know God, Right? And we got that from the Bible. So that's the second level, from 11 to 13. And then, if you graduated from that, you bar mitzvahed, which means son of the law, or you bat mitzvahed, then if you were good enough and chosen, you went to the third level. But very few people did this. And this is called bet midrash. 
And this was the best of the best of the best that would train under a rabbi. Now, let me explain how, how this is, I mean, this is the cream of the crop. It's kind of like football. You know, in Oklahoma, we have high school football, right? And in order to play football, you got to be pretty good to play high school football. But there's high schools all over the country. There's like 8 million teenagers that play uh, high school football across the United States, 8 million. So they're playing in all these schools, different levels. But then if you're really, really good, maybe you make all district, maybe you make all state, then you have a chance to get a scholarship and go to college to play. And there's 893 colleges, you know, junior college level all the way up to, uh, you know, uh, the, the Southeastern Conference, Big 12, and these guys play college football. To play college football, you got to be good. You got to be big and strong and trained, right? And you have to, and it, and, the, and it just gets more intensive. And, and these guys are huge and they're fast and they play college football. And then if you're really, really, really good, then you may get drafted to play in the NFL. But there's only, there's under 2,000 players that play in the NFL, 1,856, something like that, that play in the NFL. So you got to be really, really, really good on the 32 teams. There's like 297 million people in America, and less than 2,000 of them are good enough to play pro football. That's like, to follow a rabbi, you had to be that good. It's like the cream of the cream of the cream of the crop. And so, you know, it just wasn't some little ambition that you had, man. You had to fight for this thing. It reminds me of my grandson, Gus. When he was like about, I don't know, seven or eight, Gus was, he wanted to be, he was learning about football. And he liked football, like the Dallas Cowboys, of course, God's team. And uh, so Gus, Gus's ambition was to be a pro football player. He wanted to be drafted by uh, the Cleveland Browns back in the day. Remember this? The Browns were the worst team, and he thought, I'm going to be drafted by the Browns, and then they'll trade me when Dak Prescott retires, and I'll become, uh, I'll become quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys. I'll be a number one draft choice. So that was his goal. And then he would always want to be something. He would want to be that. He said, what do you want to be in life, Gus? I want to be a quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys and a pastor. And he went through a phase. He watched Indiana Jones. I want to be an archaeologist and a pastor. So pastor's always in there. He's got a double vision, whatever that means. But anyway, so these guys that were really, really good, they became disciples of a rabbi. And these men were not like 30 years old. Like, you know, we see pictures of the disciples, and we think they're 30 or 40 years old. No, they were probably teenagers. And they followed a rabbi. So they had to be chosen and apprenticed under the, and the, under the rabbi. And their goal was to become just like the rabbi. They wanted to observe the rabbi, follow the rabbi, eat like the rabbi, put their clothes on like the rabbi, talk like the rabbi, do everything, mimic the, the, the rabbi, dog him, watch everything he does. And that's their goal is to follow the rabbi. In fact, they have a saying, a Jewish proverb says this, I quote, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. Follow him so close, his dust lands on you. So think about Jesus' disciples. They were some that had not been chosen. They'd been rejected. We know that because, why? Because they're, they're in their vocation, they're fishing, or there was a tax collector. So these are men that had been rejected. But Jesus, the rabbi, comes along, and he says, hey, you right here, Matthew, come, follow me. Peter, come, follow me. The rabbi had to choose his disciples. And what he's saying is, I believe that you're not just average. 
The world looks as you, as, at you as average. But I'm saying, I think you can be like me. I think you can do what I can do. Do you know that's our calling? As believers, Jesus called you individually, and he said that to you. He thinks you can be like him. Somebody say amen. That's good news. God believes in you. You've been chosen. Out of, out of the masses, you've been chosen. You know, we got to see ourselves that way. You came to this earth for purpose. You came to this earth to receive Christ and then go on and do something significant. You're not average. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're not average. God put something in all of our hearts. Isn't it amazing? All these people on the earth, there's seven billion plus, plus everybody that's been born before you. They all came to this earth with an, with an assignment. We all came from eternity. The Bible said, Psalm 139, before uh, you came here, God knew you. You were in heaven. I don't know what that looked like. We can't remember it. But we were in eternity. And then we came to the earth for a short period of time. And then we're going back to eternity. Just this little, the Bible calls it a vapor. Down through history, different generations, different generations. Now we're in 2020. I got to believe we're the last generation. I could be wrong, but there's signs that, that we are. And you're here for the time. You could have been born during the Civil War or the Revolutionary War, but you, you weren't. You could have been wearing a three-pointed hat and, a, and, a, and one of those white wigs, right? But you're here right now for this time. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're here for now. And God has purpose for your life and for my life. And we have a high calling. We have a yes come from Jesus. You're not called to be average. I think most people don't fulfill everything God had for them. I think a lot of people live life and they leave frustrated. Because I've seen people leave and I can tell that. And I pray to God, I don't want to do that. Do you? I want to leave empty. I want to leave dumped out. And what God's put me on the earth to do, I want to pour it all out. I want to do it to the best of my ability. We're called here for a great purpose. We need to develop our gifts and see things like that. We need to think about purpose. You know, you are called for purpose. Your marriage is called for purpose. One of the first things Trudy and I do when we do premarital counseling with people is we talk about their purpose, and we'll ask them the question, what do you, what do you, what's your dreams God put a dream in your heart, right? That on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out, uh, Peter quoted Joel, and he said, your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. It's talking about different age groups, and it's talking about dreaming again. Because when we died spiritually, the dream in your heart died. The devil puts you down, and he does not want you to fulfill your purpose. But God in Jesus Christ, by the Holy Spirit, renews your dream. You have purpose. Glory to God. And we'll ask people, what is your purpose? What are you here for? And most of the time they say, look at each other, uh, oh, no. And we're not, we're not trying to put them down. We just, you need to dream together. One of the things that's kept us going all these 50 years is we keep on dreaming. It hasn't been perfect, you know, because you don't know. You walk by faith, but we've had different points of our dream, and, and we follow God, and we've made steps, and, and as we have, God's blessed it and directed it. We've had some failures, but we've had some successes, and it's supposed to be a lot of fun in all the middle of it. God wants your Jesus came that your joy might be full. It's supposed to be a good time. Now, smile at your neighbor and say, we're supposed to be having fun. So, 
Jesus has called us, uh, and you're a team. If you never get married, you're an individual. God's got purpose for your life. But you have to get out of the boat, and you got to believe it. The boat represents your comfort zone. Peter was willing to step up and get out of his comfort zone, right? So, that's, yeah, Jesus said, yes, come. Then number three, I'm going to close with this one. Jesus said, why did you doubt me? Why did you doubt me? Verse 30, but when he saw, that's Peter, the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and he began to sink and said, save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. And then Jesus says this, you have so little faith. Why did you doubt me? Because doubt is the thing that will tell your head, you can't walk on water. It's a doubt. Now, let me talk about this word doubt. The word doubt, distazo in the Greek, actually, it's our English word. The root of it is duo. And duo, you think about duo, Batman and Robin, the dynamic duo, two of them, right? So duo actually means two. It means double. So we get the word double. It means two. Uh, and, and when you think about doubt, here's really the, the, write this down or look at it in your notes. Doubt actually means two in the head. It's another idea that opposes the truth. Doubt, two in the head, it's another idea that opposes the truth. See, in your head, and I know you're like me, this is the way we're, we're designed. You wake up, you go to sleep at night, you may dream, you may not dream, but when you wake up, this thing begins to play in your head, this voice is going all the time. It's your thoughts, and they're constant. From the time you wake up, the time you go to bed. I woke up last week one morning, and my eyes went open. I'm laying on my back, and I looked up. Here's my first thought. There's a spider on a web, and he's coming down on my head. That's true. And you, that was my first thought, and then I began to deal with it. I need to do something about this spider. Because if I don't do something about this spider and he gets loose, Trudy will scream and get mad at me. Because that's the way it works at our house. She hates spiders with a vengeance. So I kill the spider. And then I'm, and then I'm th- my thoughts, I'll need to go brush my teeth. Well, I need some coffee real bad. I got to put on some clothes. I got, you know, you're, this voice is always, let's turn the TV on. Let's turn it off. Let's, let's check the internet. Let's see what Facebook is saying right now. Da, 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 da. And it goes on and on. And it's a voice. It's a voice. And this is talking about you're this voice, two in the head. See, what God wants us to do is have the Word of God dominate our thoughts. He gave us His Word. The Word is something you put inside your head. And here's the thing about that other voice. See, Satan has access to your thoughts. God has access to your thoughts. You have access to your thoughts. But the devil has access to your thoughts. Now, here's the way you are. There are three parts to you. You are a spirit. The real you is a spirit. Your spirit is dead on the inside until you receive Christ. And then the Bible said you are born again when you believe, confess with your mouth and receive it, right? Now, you get born again, but your body didn't get born again. Your body didn't change when you got saved. One of these days, you're going to get a glorified body if you believe this. I mean, can you imagine that? You're going to get a body like Jesus. We're not sure exactly what that's going to look like, but Jesus walked through walls. He was able to appear and, you know, and wow, won't that be cool? And a glorified body, it'd probably be the best-looking version of you. You'll get abs back. Long time in my past, right? Get a new body, but you don't have it now. And then your spirit's made new. Your body stays the same. But then your mind, you have to, you manage your mind. 
You determine that. You determine your thoughts. You've been given authority to receive the word of God. You can think anything you want to, though. You can think about anything you want to. But your thoughts are affected by what you put in your mind. Affected totally by what you put in your mind. So what God's given us is his word to put in our mind to dispel the thoughts. And here's the thing about that doubt voice and that voice of the devil. It'll never go away. <laughs> it's always going to be there. It's always going to say, eh, I don't know about that. Well, I'm sick and I don't feel good. And I know the word of God says I can be healed, but eh, I don't know. The I don't know voice, right? It's always going to be there. Here's what you got to do. You got to get the voice of the word of God louder than the voice of the doubt. Because if the, word of the, if the voice of the word gets louder, you can dispel the doubt. So you, but you have to do that yourself. Faith is not the absence of doubt. Faith is the voice to overcome the doubt. But what are you going to do? You have to purposely do that. You got to put the word of God in you. So you got to take responsibility. So you got to read it. I encourage you to read the Bible every day of your life. Every day of my life, I try, I've, I've had days I didn't, but I try to read the Bible. I read the Bible through every year. That's something I've done for multi, multiplied years. And the way I do it, you know, you can do this any way you want to, but this seems to work for me. I get in a bathtub. I like, I like a good hot bathtub, and I get a Bible, and I've got this little Bible stand on my tub. I'm getting real personal with you this morning. You good this? <laughs> and I, put my, I set my Bible, and I read my daily Bible in the bathtub. And if I get behind, sometimes I do. I'll read two, two days worth. And I get, you know, the scripture says, Jesus said, you're clean through the word I've spoken unto you. So I believe that I'm fulfilling that scripture. As I'm getting clean, God's speaking the word. <laughs> this is amazing. God honors that all the time. I'm sitting in the bathtub and I'll get ideas from God. I'm reading that and it'll just come alive to me. But you got to find a place where you and God get alone and read his word and talk to him. And then next step is study his word. Study his word. Don't just read it, but study it. Or in other words, uh, we have so many apps now that are so great. You know, Blue Letter Bible, I use that all the time. And I can just click a button and go and look at every Greek Hebrew word, and it breaks it down, defines it for me. I have commentaries I look at. And uh, so there's all kinds of tools. Back in the day when I was young, you had to have all these books to do that. Had a Strong's Concordance, had a Vine's Concordance, and you got to look all that stuff up. We're living in a wonderful age. It's easier than ever. Everybody say, it's easy. easy. Just get in the Word and read it, and then study it. And then here's another thing I want to say about this. Come to church expecting to hear from God. Come to church expecting. In other words, when Pastor Josh, Pastor Sarah, who's ever preaching, is up here, turn this knob. I just believe, God, you're speaking to me through what they're saying. Because God has ordained uh, ministry gifts to speak the word into your life. Uh, the, the, not everybody has a ministry gift. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. All these are gifts that God has used to equip and build up the church. That's why you need to come to church, write this down, every week. And just be here every week. Okay, take a vacation every once in a while. That's good, right? Miss a weekend or two here and there. But you need to be faithful to church. I read a stat that was kind of interesting, that 50% of people who are Christians only come to church 50% of the time. And I thought, huh, how many know you need to come to church every time it's, the doors are open? Not as a, not as a uh, religious bondage thing. No, but you, because you can hear from Jesus in church. 
And sometimes in the middle of the pastor's sermon, you're just sitting there minding your own business, and God can tell you something that will bless your life. One time when I was young, I was living in Texas, and I knew I was called into ministry, but I knew I wasn't quite ready. And I didn't know, I prayed about going to school, but I didn't really feel good about that. And I got a little baby. This is before Josh was born. We have an older daughter, and she was like two. And, uh, but I got a problem. I knew I was called into ministry, but I got a job, and it's not a very good job. It was long hours and low pay. How many know that's a bad job? So I'm thinking I want to do something, but I'm not trained. So one day, I got my hair cut. It was on a Saturday. And this girl cuts my hair. And uh, she, as she's cutting my hair, she's talking to me. And she begins to talk about this thing, and I didn't know anything about it. She said, in, in the state of Texas, we lived in Texas, you can get a grant to go to different trade schools. You can go to like welding school or, you know, different trade schools. I, and she mentioned Barber Hairstyling School. This is like in 1976. And uh, so uh, I didn't think much about that. Next day, I'm in church. Now, I was in church, and I, I served, and I was, we were active. We paid our tithe, and we're just being faithful, doing all we know to do in church, right? Church is the place to be, man. I'm sitting in church, pastor's preaching, and the Lord spoke to me. It's just so real. He said, if you want to go uh, to barber school, I'll bless it. And it's like, I just heard that. And it's so real to me. I turned to truth. He said, God just spoke to me. She said, well, be quiet. You're supposed to be quiet in church. I said, yeah. <laughs> so, so when church was over, we got in the car and I said, babe, this is what I feel like God told me. And I told her about the barber thing. And she said, you want to cut hair? She said, you never said that before. And I said, I know, but I feel like I'm supposed to do this. Let me see your hair. I'm, I'm, no, I didn't do it. But, I, but so the next day, we had a trade, uh, a trade school in our little town, Plainview, Texas. And so I went to school to, to ask about the paperwork. And I'm standing there in line by, uh, at the counter, you know, and this lady's talking to people. And, and the president, I didn't know who he was, but he, a guy walked out of the office. And this guy had a kind of a stern look on his face. And he looks around and he looks right at me. And he just says, who are you? And I said, well, I'm, you know, it kind of set me back. I said, well, I'm so-and-so, and I'm here. He said, why are you here? I said, I'm, well, I'm going to apply for a grant. And he said, huh, huh. He said, come here, come here. He took me back in his office. I promise you, the president of the school filled out my paperwork. He said, because I'm doing this, you'll have the, you won't have to wait a month. You'll have this by the end of the week. I got my grant, went to school, did it for a year, got out, Started my own barber business. And this is back in the days of like the men had really long hair, big, you know, big hair. That, like John Travolta, Saturday Night Fever. Anybody remember that? Three of us remember that. Uh, but I, get out, I began to cut men's hair, ladies' hair. We opened a shop. The first week of, of our business, I made four times my weekly income. In 1978, I was making close to $40,000 a year. That was big money in 1978. And God blessed it, and I did that for four years, and then I got into the ministry. But how did that come? The Lord spoke to me when I was in church. See, God wants to talk to you. Be expectant. And then in conclusion, let's think about Peter for a minute. You know, Peter, he gets some bad rap, and he did some crazy things. I mean, you know, Peter was like very impetuous, and he would be the one to just, just speak out. And sometimes it was good, and sometimes it wasn't. I mean, one time he spoke out, he said, Jesus, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. 
And so Jesus commended him. Wow, Peter, on this rock, on what you just said, I'm going to build my church. And Peter's going, I'm good. Praise God. And then Jesus began to talk about going to the cross. And I'm going to go to the cross and I'm going to die. And Peter took him aside, Lord. You know, I hear from God. Remember me? Don't say this. This is not good. And this time Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Hmm. Peter had his ups and downs, right? He denied Jesus. He denied the Lord that bought him three times. When I say that, I'm sorry, but I think about me, some of the things I'm ashamed of that I did growing up. I'm sorry. But so he was in shame. I know shame. I've been there. I had problems with alcohol. I professed that I knew Jesus when I was 11, but I walked totally away from him. And I knew I was wrong. But when Peter rose from the dead, he told the women, remember this story? He said, go tell my disciples and Peter what's happened. I'm alive. He singled out Peter because he knew Peter felt like a dog. And they came to him, Peter, Jesus singled you out. So Peter came back, right? And he got saved. And now it's Acts chapter 2. Jesus has left. There's 120 disciples praying in the upper room. Jesus had told them, I want you to go tell the world what I've done. Tell them that God died for your sins. He was raised from the dead. Tell the world. But before you go, you're not ready. You have to be filled with it. You have to have the power. So wait. Go to, the, go, to, go to Jerusalem, for you shall receive power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you. So in Acts chapter 2, these guys are praying in the upper room, right? And the Holy Spirit comes into the earth. Jesus is gone, but the Holy Spirit comes. He's here right now. But he came in that day, tongues of fire, and, and a, a, a wind rushed through. And men begin to be filled with the Spirit, and they begin to speak in languages, and they begin to prophesy. And there was a lot of confusion. You know, some uh, people were there for a Jewish holiday called Pentecost, and they were listening to all this, and they didn't understand, why are these guys doing this? But I hear some, these guys are talking in my language, but these guys are just, sounds like, I don't know what they're saying. Since they were talking in the tongues of, or languages of men and angels. But the Holy Spirit came down to empower them, and they were filled with the Spirit. And so people were saying, what is this? I think some of these guys are drunk. <laughs> and so somebody had to get up and explain what's going on. And guess who God anointed to do it? Let's read about it. Acts 2. Can you find it? I'm closing with this. Look at verse 13. Acts 2, 13. But other, others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying, they're just drunk. That's all. That's what I was talking about. Verse 14. Then Peter stepped forward. Peter stepped up again. You know, maybe you stepped up and you felt like you failed before. But you can step up again. Because Peter stepped up again with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd. Listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this. And he preached 
the first gospel message out of the, after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. 3,000 people got saved. That day, the church began in a blaze of glory, glory with 3,120 people empowered by the power of God. And guess who God used? This guy that failed named Peter. And now the water walker failure is now preaching to a crowd and became one of the great apostles who was crucified upside down to glorify God because he didn't want to be crucified like his Lord. Everybody close your eyes. I'll ask you a question this morning. You need to step up somewhere? See, God can't step up for you. You have to step up. Maybe you're in the boat and you've never received Jesus. You're not right with God. Well, you got to take a step. You got to step out. You need to receive Christ. Maybe you need power in your boat. The Holy Spirit has come to empower you. Is there anybody here while nobody's looking around? You just say, Pastor Ken, I want to get right with God this morning. I, I, I don't know if I'm right, and I don't want to be. Raise your hand up. I'm looking around the room. Anybody say, say, I need it. We're not going to make you do anything. I just want to acknowledge you. And you need to acknowledge this, this in the presence of God. Pastor Ken, I want to get right with God this morning. Or maybe you say, I want to be filled with that kind of power. The Holy Spirit is available for you today. We're going to have a time of prayer at the altar. You can come this morning and be filled with the Spirit right here this morning. But I want to lead you in a prayer this morning. If you want to receive Jesus, you've never done that. I want to help you step up. In fact, everybody pray this prayer with me. Let's all say it together. Say, Heavenly Father, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. And Jesus, I receive you now. I believe you died for me. I believe you rose from the dead for me. When you died, I died. But when you rose, I rise. I receive you. I say it with my mouth. I believe it in my heart. And I declare Jesus is my Lord. Everybody look at me and smile. You believe that? Clap your hands if you believe that. Hallelujah. These guys are going to give you some instruction about prayer. Thank you for coming today. God bless you. It's great to speak to you. Thanks for listening to this week's message from New Song Church. If you have a prayer need or would like more information about New Song, you can email info at newsongpeople.com. If you would like to partner with New Song through giving, go to www.newsongpeople.com forward slash give. And if you want to stay connected to New Song, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for New Song People.